chapter number five. Do you ever have those passages of Scripture, maybe those verses, those concepts in Scripture that you're just not quite sure what it means? And sometimes you're afraid of what it means, so you avoid figuring out what it means. Anybody else been that way? The, what we're going to talk about tonight is one of those areas. For a long time, I was scared of knowing what it meant, so I failed to look into it. Sometimes we misunderstand it, and so would you give that to Susanna? Um, we misunderstand it, and so, um, or we're afraid of being misunderstood. If we understand it, y'all know what I'm talking about. There are some truths in Scripture that we're just afraid to tackle because of what it may mean for us, how it may change our lives, or, um, or, just, some, or just simply um, that there's just a fear about it. And um, the concept of the filling of the Spirit is one of those that for a long time to me was scary. You know, I would see books like Charles Stanley's book, um, This Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life. Book sat on my shelf for years, and I didn't want to read it. Why? Because something might happen. If I read that and understand that concept, I might have to change something about my life. And plus, it just seemed a little too high for me. A.W. Tozer, Be Filled with the Spirit, I could see that. Um, Adoniram Judson, Hudson Taylor, you know, great men of the faith. Um, Elizabeth Elliot, great women of the faith. Um, Amy Carmichael, I could see that, but I could never achieve that, so I don't even want to study it because I could never actually um, experience that, and I was afraid of what it looked like if I did. The thing is, there are some things that for us to be totally effective as believers, there are some concepts we need to understand. Do you want to be an effective witness for Christ? This is a concept you need to understand. Do you want to be a good brother or sister in Christ? This is a concept you need to understand. If we are filled with the Spirit of God, it is going to affect every aspect, every area of our lives. It's going to affect our prayer life. Um, back in the, over the last year, um, there have been a couple of instances where I have had friends reach out to me that the way they reached out to me, I knew they were spirit-filled people. There's a couple guys I'm good friends with that work at work for Alert on campus there. They're both in the background type of people. Um, most people, if you go for conferences, if you go for family camp, you don't even know these two guys. They're always working hard in the background, but we've become good friends. One night, it was about one o'clock in the morning. I was at a really dark place. I was feeling very lonely, and I was awake that night praying, and my phone lit up on the nightstand. One o'clock in the morning, and I look over at my phone, and it's one of these two friends from Big Sandy saying, Aaron, I just wanted you to know I'm praying for you right now. One o'clock in the morning. How did he know that I was dealing with something that I could not tell anyone? And yet the Holy Spirit was speaking to this friend and through this friend to minister to me. We did not even have a conversation that night. I didn't um, respond to the text. We talked later. But whenever, when we are filled with the Spirit of God, 
God begins to use us in ways that we're totally unaware of. And we're going to look at some of those tonight. You could call this the necessity of the filling of the Spirit. Now, I want to ask to start with, I, I really like birds. My whole family, we like birds. We like having bird feeders out. We um, enjoy watching birds. But um, we're crazy people like that. And I don't just have a picture of a dove here because I like birds. Can any kid... Tell me, why on a message about the Holy Spirit would I have a picture of a dove? Yes, sir. That's right. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove in the form of a dove. So in the scriptures, a dove represents who? The Holy Spirit. Very good. You're thinking there. You got your thinking cap on. So as we start here, let's do a review from the last message about the Holy Spirit. We talked about the works of the Holy Spirit at salvation. When a person gets saved, there are things that the Holy Spirit does in their heart. Number one, what does he do? He regenerates us. He makes us a new person. We call that the new birth. He births us into the family of God. We gave that quote from, I don't remember who, I've read a couple of different old um, pastors who wrote about this, and they refer to him as the, the heavenly midwife. He delivers us into the family of God. Secondly, the moment you get saved, he baptizes us into the body of Christ. So he makes us members of the body. Baptism is not something, the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost is not something that happens later. It's something that happens the moment you get saved and you become a member of of the spiritual body of Christ. You become a member of his church, or it's also called his bride in the scriptures. Number three, he indwells. A lot about this in John chapter 14, Jesus foretold the Holy Spirit would come and he would abide, that is to take up permanent residence in forever. So he came to permanently indwell the believer. Number four, he seals us. He put, he, the Holy Spirit is God's mark on our hearts. It's that stamp, that seal that we belong to God and the Holy Spirit is going to keep us until the day of redemption. So until the day we die and we end up in heaven with God or the rapture takes place and we get taken out of here to be with God, the Holy Spirit is our seal, the mark on our heart that we belong permanently to God. And then the fifth aspect here is he fills. And as we read in scripture, we see in the book of Acts that after the coming of the Holy Spirit, on the day the Holy Spirit came, um, Acts chapter two at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and he filled believers. But then those early believers who were present that day, if you keep reading in the book of Acts, you'll see, and then the Holy Spirit filled Peter and he did a specific thing. And then it says it again. So we realize that of these five things that we talked about here, the filling is something that has to keep happening in the life of a believer. So let's talk about this concept today, the filling and why it's important. And we know it's something that's important for us because once we get beyond the book of Acts to a book of the Bible that was written at a later time, Ephesians chapter five, Ephesians chapter five and verse 18 he gives us an important command. And it is a command here. So it tells us this is not something that happens the moment we get saved necessarily. Or if it is, it's something that has to keep happening because he says, Ephesians 5.18, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled 
with the Spirit. Let's talk about this word. Well, in Greek, it's one word, be filled. Two words in English, be filled. First of all, it's a verb. And what does a verb do? A Greek verb is going to denote action. Something's happening. What are verbs that we might use today? Run, right? That's a verb. It's something that we're doing. Run, sit, stand, um, cry. Anna never cries. She's listening, aren't you? Yes, Anna's listening. Um, So um, it's something that we do. So this is a verb, be filled. So there's an action taking place here, or an action is supposed to take place, rather, I should say. Um, The second thing we learn about this is, um, number one, it's a verb. Number two, it's present tense. That's something that's occurring in actual time. So he's not saying when you got saved, you were supposed to be filled. He's not saying when you were saved, you were filled. He says, this is an action I want to take place right now. And so he commands the church at Ephesus, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's a command to them that at that present time, it's something that they're supposed to be doing. Let's look here. Uh, Number three, it's passive voice. This means that it's not something you're going to actually do the action yourself. It's action that's going to happen to you. So when a Greek verb, depending on how it's spelled, and by the spelling of this verb, um, pluro, 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 um, this Greek verb, that is telling you to be filled. In other words, let this happen to yourself. Somebody else is going to do this to you. If I walk up, okay, so I just walk up and punch Brother Hewlin. Um, he got what? Punched. It happened to him. And so he's saying, be filled. Let yourself get filled with the Spirit, we might say today. It is an imperative mood, meaning it's a command. So the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, is telling the Ephesian church, this is a command of God. Be filled. And then it's in second person, and it's also plural. So we would say, y'all be filled. Y'all. In other words, he's not talking to one person in the church. He's talking to everybody. Be filled with the Spirit. And so here, this command is given to all of them. Now, let's look at the context for a minute. He's giving a contrast, a, a comparison and contrast. Something that we look at and we really think about and process, but when the church at Ephesus received this letter and they read it out loud the first time, they would have known exactly what Paul was talking about. Because they were from this pagan culture that one of the things they would do to celebrate one of their gods in particular was they would go out and get drunk at certain festivals. And the drunker they got, the better they could communicate with their god. So when they start reading this, they know exactly what Paul's talking about. Don't be drunk with wine. That's not how you get to know God better. That's not how God's going to have control over your life. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So the concept here is that you and I need to, as alcohol would control a drunkard, a drunkard has, has this feeling, this need for alcohol. Why? 
because they built a dependency in their in their in their systems, we could say, for alcohol. And there's this need for it. But what did they do to get drunk? They drink and drink and drink. He says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. And the other times this Greek word is used in the New Testament, it's actually talking about rioting. It's wild parties is the idea I get from looking at this um, or studying this out. But he says, be not drunk with wine. Don't be controlled by alcohol. Be filled with the Spirit. The concept here that he's talking about is to be what, what controls you. Whose control are you under? Um, I have a picture of Jesus' baptism here because a really great, I mentioned this last message, a really great illustration of the filling of the Spirit is Jesus. When he was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. And then the scripture says that the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness to have a party for 40 days, to be what? He led him into the wilderness to be tempted. The Holy Spirit took him out to the wilderness for a very specific purpose. And we read about the three temptations of Christ, right? Where did that happen? You might say, if you're following the Holy Spirit, you will never end up in a position in your life where you might be tempted to sin. Well, you can say that all you want, but when Jesus followed the Holy Spirit, he did end up with some temptations. But what did he do? He used the word of God to combat Satan, and he had victory. But the example here is when Jesus was, the, this idea of being filled with the Spirit, Jesus was following the leadership of the Spirit of God. He was God in the flesh, but yet he followed the leadership of the Holy Spirit. How much more do you and I need the leadership of the Holy Spirit? When we have the leadership of the Holy Spirit, it makes everything about our lives more effective. There have been times in my life where the Holy Spirit said witness to that person. I didn't always do it, but there have been times where I've known the Holy Spirit told me to witness to somebody. There have been other times where the Holy Spirit told me, don't witness to that person. Somebody I wanted to talk to. I didn't know why the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me talk to them. There have been other times I've been out and the Holy Spirit said, don't talk to that person. Go get so-and-so to witness to them. We had a young woman at a Bible club one time. I can remember very vividly, and she was wearing very lewd clothing, and I knew the girl needed Jesus. Well, I was about to go witness to her. And the Holy Spirit said, get Sarah, which is now my sister-in-law. She was one of my Bible club teammates. We worked together for years in Bible clubs, and Holy Spirit said, go get Sarah. Well, Sarah hadn't been doing Bible clubs that long. I didn't know how she'd handle this. And I went over and said, Sarah, would you go witness to that girl? I'd never, I'd never gone to a person and said, here, go sick that person. I mean, it was my first time to go to somebody else and feel like I'm being Mr. Holy Spirit. But it's how the Holy Spirit was leading me. Sarah needs to witness to her. It was amazing to watch Sarah's heart for this young woman. This young woman respond to Sarah. Why the Holy Spirit was leading that day. And he wasn't leading me to witness. But as a leader in that Bible club, the Lord was giving direction. So if we're submitted, if we're yielded, if we're under the influence, under the control of the Holy Spirit, we're going to have power to give another illustration before we get into this deeper. It was another Bible club where I remember very vividly not being led by the Spirit that day. I wasn't in the Spirit at all. I probably shouldn't have even been in Bible club that day. But I went along with another team, 
And we got there, and there was this little girl at Bible Club that it was like, her attitude was like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. It was like when she started talking, the way she moved her body, she thought she was the boss of the world. And she was telling me and my dad and everybody else there how to behave. And she thought she was so godly and so spiritual. And boy, she was letting us have it. And then finally, she told us why she had the right to tell us all what to do. Because her mama was a pastor. And so we had to listen to her. And anyway, I had had enough. And I don't remember what I said, but I looked at that little girl and I just, I was so smart. I looked at her. I thought, I'm going to run her off. So we can actually, we couldn't even have the Bible club. She was like, I'm going to sing a special now. It's my turn. And she just got up in front of the club, taking over. And so anyway, I was ready to get rid of her. The team that was doing the club, they weren't doing anything about her. So I was sick to her. A few minutes later, and she went home like I thought she would. A few minutes later, her mother came out. And the moment her mother walked out of the door, I knew either God had to take control or the police were going to be called soon. Because that mother was angry and in uh, a lot of African-American cultures, there is a hierarchy, even in a neighborhood. Of There's a woman that she's often referred to in the neighborhood themselves as Big Mama. And used to, everybody called her Big Mama. We could be at Bible clubs, and they'd say, oh, that's Big Mama. And you could call her Big Mama. Now, that's politically incorrect, apparently. But anyway, everybody knew who she was. You knew she was the boss. And if you could get her favor, you could do anything in that neighborhood. You could do your Bible club anywhere you wanted. Because Big Mama gave her approval. Well, this was Big Mama, and she wanted blood because we had been mean to her daughter. Anyway, she came out, and I instantly realized I was walking in the flesh, and I had to get under the Holy Spirit's leadership real quick. Anyway, God took care, and Mom realized what the daughter was doing, and let's just say the wrath of Mama fell, and it wasn't on me. Praise the Lord. But boy, I heard the Holy Spirit that day. Because I realized, this is what happens when you're walking in the flesh, Aaron. I showed up at that Bible club as an observer that day. And um, I was not walking in the Spirit. So there, is, there can be great harm to our testimony when we're not walking in the Spirit. So let's talk about the filling of the Spirit. Throughout Scripture, even in the Old Testament, we see the filling of the Spirit. So let's see what the purpose is for the filling of the Spirit throughout Scripture. We're going to go to the first mention of the filling of the Spirit, Exodus chapter 31. Why is this important? For what aspects of our life is this important? <clears throat> and I think the first mention gives us some really, a really important perspective here. As, there, as, God, as Moses has received instructions on how what they were to do to prepare the tabernacle, what the furniture was to be like, what they were going to use for anointing oil, what the tapestries were going to be like, what the furniture was going to be made out of, how it was to be made. All of these things are being given to Moses. And it says, um, Exodus 31.1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the, um, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, to devise cunning works, to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting of stones and to set them and in carving of timber to work all manner of workmanship. And I, anyway, he goes on. Look down at verse, uh, sorry, chapter 35. 
and verse 30. And Moses said unto the children of Israel, See, the Lord hath called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri. And this is really important for us to recognize here. God called him by name. God has callings for people. I really believe that God has callings for every single one of us as believers. To some of us, it's what, God, what we refer to today as full-time Christian service is what Paul got called to. He was a tent maker. That was a wayside thing. I mean, how many times do you see him making tents in the New Testament? Most of the time, he's preaching the gospel. But he was a tent maker. His calling, though, was to preach. This man, Bezalel, his calling was to build things. Verse 31, and he hath filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise curious works or um, skillful works <clears throat> to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in the cutting of stones to set them and in carving of wood to make any manner of cunning work. And he hath put in his heart that he may teach. So God had put in his heart this, I think this is interesting because when you get to the New Testament, what's one of the ministry gifts he gives to people in the church? One of them is the gift of teaching. That was no new thing when we get to the New Testament that the Holy Spirit gives gifts of teaching. God gave this through the Holy Spirit to this man Bezalel. And of course he had Aholiab as well to help him. And these men were to teach and they were to train and they were going to do this practical ministry. We don't know how much of this may have been Bezalel's trade. I mean, they'd come out of Egypt. Maybe he was a woodworker in Egypt. Maybe he worked with stones in Egypt. Maybe he um, did the work of an apothecary. Maybe he was a weaver. We don't know what he did, but it didn't matter what he was naturally capable of doing because the Holy Spirit empowered him to do this. <clears throat> if you look at 36 and verse 1, then wrought Bezalel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how to work. The Holy Spirit gave them the ability not only to do it, but how to do it. So, you know, you and I may go online and we Google a YouTube video to explain to us how to do something, you know, how to fix my leaky faucet. So we watch a YouTube video on how to do it. He didn't have YouTube, but he had the Holy Spirit. Okay, God, how do I, how do I carve this thing? I'm just not sure how to get this to work. Um, but having this understanding, this wisdom that was given to them, J. Vernon McGee said it this way. He said the Holy Spirit equipped them for their work. He made them capable of doing this. It's interesting that the word, the Hebrew word male, which means to, um, to fill, and it's the word used here that the Holy Spirit filled him. Um, it means to take an empty space and fill it up. That's what all of our lives need to be, an empty space so that the Holy Spirit can fill it up. Our minds need to be an empty space so that the Holy Spirit can fill it up. Our hearts, an empty space so the Holy Spirit can fill it up. When Laura and I are doing premarital counseling with couples, I often tell guys there are going to be days where you're not going to be capable of loving your wife. Not humanly capable. You just can't do it. Whatever your, miss, your, your sin problem is, whatever your um, inability is, whatever is causing you to feel that way towards your wife, there are some days where you have to ask the Lord, would you love my wife through me? 
I don't even understand what my wife needs today. Holy Spirit, give me wisdom. Make me a channel through which you can love my wife. Make me an empty space and you fill it up. Brother Jerry Pertell, when he looks for a young man to train to be his assistant, I, I would hate to be one of those guys because Uncle Jerry will get up and announce who his new assistant is. And he'll say, this guy is an empty space. And I get to fill him and make him the kind of assistant I want him to be. So he doesn't go find a guy who's like, this is, my life is all figured out. This is what I'm going to do. He finds a guy who goes, I just don't know what to do with life. I want to serve God, but I don't know what to do. Uncle Jerry will say, come here, I'll show you how to serve God. Now I want you to do this and this, and I want you to do it this way and that way. He said he's an empty space. And that's this concept here. Every one of us need to be that kind of servant of God. We need to be bezalils that are an empty space that God's going to fill. There is spiritual application here because they were building the very furniture, the very house of God where God was going to meet with the people. There is spiritual application here. Each one of us are given spiritual gifts. That's a whole different message in itself. But each one of us are given spiritual gifts that we can use for the edification, for the building up of God's church. But I think just simply looking at the practical here is even important for us. These men were making furniture. These were very practical gifts that they had. But yet it had great benefit. And it was going to, in the long term, have great spiritual benefit as well. So the first time they were filled, someone was filled in the, New Ta in the Old Testament. They were filled to build or filled for just very practical service. The second is filled to fight. And I'm disappointed. I expected kids to giggle when that picture came up. It was uh, pictures of this brother in Christ is just, they're ridiculous. But this was the best one I could find. Um, and I mean, if you read about him, it, you have to imagine every picture you could draw of him would be a little silly to us maybe. But filled to fight, Judges chapter 14. Judges chapter 14, we have a man by the name of Samson. Samson was a man that made some mistakes, some very foolish mistakes. But yet God used him. When did God use him? God used him when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and fill someone for the purpose of ministry, and he would leave. Now, people will take that from the Old Testament and say, see, you can lose your salvation because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came and went. The Holy Spirit was not coming to indwell. He was not coming to save in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit came for service in the Old Testament. We see today in the New Testament, he comes and he permanently indwells us. But in the Old Testament, he would come for service and in Judges chapter 14, what was this service? It was to destroy some enemies of God's people. Um, Judges chapter 14 and verse 19, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. It came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and slew 30 men of them and took their spoil and gave change of garments unto them which expounded the riddle. What, did the, what, what happened? When did he become a great warrior? When the Spirit of God came upon him. Look over at Judges 15, beginning at verse 14. And he came to um, Lehi, 
uh, sorry, the Philistines shouted. And when he came to unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire and his bands loosed from off his hands. And he found a new jawbone of an ass and put forth his hand and took it and slew a thousand men therewith. When did he have this power to fight? When the Holy Spirit came mightily upon him. Our application here should be pretty obvious. Look over of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6, um, Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. You and I have battles to face. He's talking to Timothy here as a pastor, and he tells him, fight the good fight of faith. But we have better understanding of this if we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, you and I live in fleshly human bodies, right? But though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not natural. They're not swords and spears and shields and guns and cannons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now look over at um, Ephesians chapter 5 again, where we started out. Ephesians 5, he's... And verse number 10. Uh, Sorry, I'm on the wrong chapter. Ephesians chapter 6, actually. And verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Why do we need the armor of God? Verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. When you get mad at somebody else in the church, remember, they're not your enemy. But remember, when you want to get mad at somebody else in the church, there is somebody you should be mad at. It's the person who's the real enemy. That's the one causing the problem in the first place. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, in high places. There was a time at, when I was working at my dad's church in Louisiana, there were some major problems being caused in the church by one particular family. They were making accusations about everyone in the church. And it was this one specific problem they claimed that we all had. Um, well, I'll just say, they said we were the most judgmental church there was. Then they began to talk about how a visitor couldn't walk in the doors without us all being judgmental to what they were wearing. And I watched being very confused. And one day I heard the wife greet someone at the door. And I heard her say, you know better than to walk into church dressed this way. And that day I understood why she thought it was the most judgmental church in the world. Because she was judging people that walked in the door. And she assumed everybody else in the church was the same way. Anyway, I could have died standing there as she rebuked this girl that needed to be in the house of God. 
for wearing what she was wearing. And yes, the girl did know better than dressing that way anywhere, but that was not the point. Well, I was really frustrated, even more so frustrated at that point. So I started trying to figure out, how do I deal with this problem? The Lord said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This is a spiritual battle. Quit being mad at them. Lord, you're right. So that week, Pastor Hubby, I would go to the church and I'd walk around their pew and I'd pray. The battle changed that day. And I started praying and I said, Lord, would you cast out this judgmental, critical spirit? And so I started praying for them every day. Anyway, it was interesting. The next Sunday they showed up at church and said, we're leaving. And they left. And I'm like, Lord, I didn't mean for you to send them with the judgmental spirit. Um, but, but God took them to another church where they were able to um, really be able to receive ministry. And it was really good for their family. And it was good for the church. But what changed that day was I quit trying to figure out how to change them. And I realized this has to be fought because it's a, it has to be fought as a spiritual battle. That's why we need the armor of God. And as you read through the armor of God, look at verse number 17 and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, the sword of the who? Spirit, which is the word of God. It's amazing in the scriptures how many times the spirit and the word are, go together. Because if you start walking around saying, oh, I'm spirit-led, I'm just doing whatever the Holy Spirit tells me, you can start coming up with ideas that you have imaginations of your own. So you can mistake your imaginations for the direction of the Holy Spirit. But if you're holding the word in one hand and listening to the Holy Spirit, they're going to be in balance with one another. There are days where I say, oh, Lord, I think this is truth. I think this is right. I think this is what we ought to do. I think this is what the Holy Spirit's telling us. And then I start checking it out by the word, and I realize what I thought was Holy Spirit was not Holy Spirit. And I know it's not because it contradicts the sword of the Spirit. And it was the sword of the Spirit that showed me that day that I have to start going and walking around their pew and praying for this family and dealing with the spiritual issue, the demonic issue here. Verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Spiritual warfare is not something weird and creepy. It's not like the woman preacher I heard this week that was explaining spiritual warfare. And she started explaining our eyes and how our eyes have to be open all the time. It was this weird, creepy thing about our eyes. And then she started talking about the things that we speak to it. I, it just got really complicated and weird. And somehow or another, spiritual warfare had to do with our eyes. Open. Um, I don't know, I haven't found that verse yet, but, but, our, but spiritual warfare is fought on our knees before the throne of God, seeking God. What is the root problem here? What is the spiritual problem here? I have this problem with this brother. I have this problem with this sister, but what is the real problem? Show me the real problem. So to fight, we need to be, to have good, powerful spiritual warfare, we have to be spirit-filled. Number three, we come to a character in the Old Testament that was filled to lead. <clears throat> if you'll go back to the Old Testament again, 1 Samuel chapter number 10. <clears throat> 1 Samuel chapter 10. So we have someone filled 
with the Spirit in the law. Bezalel, we have someone filled with the Spirit in the judges. That was um, Samson. Someone filled with the Spirit in the time of the kings, 1 Samuel 10. And the, at the beginning of this chapter, we see that um, Saul is anointed to be the first king of Israel. And in verse number six, it says, and the spirit of the Lord will come upon thee and thou shalt prophesy with him. He's going to be speaking the word of God <clears throat> and shalt be turned into another man. You'll be turned into another man. When was Saul going to be turned into a different person? It was after the Holy Spirit came. When the Holy Spirit came, again, the connection between the Holy Spirit's presence and the word of God the Holy Spirit would come and he would prophesy. And we've got to get past the idea of prophecy being foretelling the future. Because as you go through the word of God, prophesying was speaking the word of God. And yes, for some of the Old Testament prophets, it was foretelling the future. But most of their prophesying was just speaking what God told them. And so he's speaking the word of the Lord after the Holy Spirit comes, but then the Holy Spirit made him another man. What happens when you and I get saved? The Holy Spirit changes us. But if we are walking in the Spirit, if we're filled with the Spirit of God, some things are going to start changing in our lives. There's going to be fruit. There's going to be evidence. I don't want to hear about how many times you've spoken in tongues to prove that you have the Holy Spirit. I don't want to hear about how many people you supposedly healed. I believe that God heals people still today. We prayed for a woman one time at Trinity. We're on our knees praying for God to heal her. Her doctors were saying she needed to abort her baby because she could, the baby could not develop and she um, could not deliver the baby because of the cancer she had. She was anointed with oil in the service. We prayed and as we were praying, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I have healed her. Stand up and tell her. And I said, that sounds cuckoo. That can't be the Holy Spirit that just told me that. Plus, I want to marry Laura, and her parents are here visiting. They're going to think I'm cuckoo. And so I, I accept, I laid there on the floor having an argument with God. And by the time the service was over, he, I had not obeyed him. The next morning, she went to the doctor, and they looked for the cancer. And they told her when she came out of all the tests, they said, this doesn't make any sense to us, but your cancer is not there. We see the scar where it was, which I think the Lord led, left the scar there to prove you did have cancer. They said, but it's not there anymore. And when I got that phone call, the Holy Spirit just smote my heart. It's like, see, Aaron, I wanted to get glory right there in that service. But I, I didn't want to be accused of being crazy, so I didn't listen to the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> I believe the Holy Spirit still heals. But what I want to see as a real evidence that you have the Holy Spirit of God is love, joy, peace. There are preachers I know of that people talk about how great and how wonderful they are, how spirit-filled, how much time they spend in prayer, how much time they do all these things. And they're just so unloving, so uncaring, no joy. And I sit back and go, but do, are they really filled with the Spirit? Or do they have rituals that they do in their lives? And you and I can be guilty of having rituals. You may be the person that reads your Bible the most, but are you allowing the Holy Spirit to really saturate your heart? 
Is the word affecting you? Is it changing you? The Holy Spirit, when he abides with us truly, and then when we are really truly controlled by him, we are going to have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faith. These are things that he produces. And of course, Saul went out. Why did God give him the Holy Spirit? Why was this change made in his life? Why did he change his heart? Why did he change his life? Because he needed to be the leader of God's people. So in order to lead the nation, he needed to be filled with the Spirit. And can I say for you and I, if we're going to be leaders, spiritual leaders, we need to be filled with God's Spirit. So that means men and in your businesses during the week, you need to be Spirit-filled. If you're Spirit-filled, you'll be able to be a better problem solver. Because when there's a problem at work and nobody can figure out what to do, you have a hotline to God. Lord, what do we do here? Lord, give us wisdom. Moms, as you're teaching your kids at home and as you're working with your kids, you need to be spirit-filled. The Holy Spirit of God filling you, directing you, dads, as you lead your homes. Because when you're spirit-filled and trying to figure out how to best reach the hearts of your kids and how to deal with discipline issues, when you're seeking the Lord... The Lord can give you some out-of-the-box things to reach your kid's heart that no book, no teaching method is going to give you because you have the Holy Spirit of God. That is what makes great leaders. It's the filling of the Spirit, being controlled by the Spirit of God in our churches, in our homes, in our businesses. So we need to, we learn from these. We need the Holy Spirit to build For practical ministry, we need the Holy Spirit to fight. For spiritual warfare, we need the Holy Spirit to lead. Number four, the Holy, the filled to minister. If we look over in um, 1 Samuel chapter 16, just move over a few chapters, we come to David. David was to be the second king of Israel. And if we read in 1 Samuel 16 and verse number 13, He says, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. The spirit of the Lord came upon him. This is unique to the Old Testament because as we said, the Holy Spirit came and went. That's why in Psalm 51, he said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He saw what happened to Saul. Holy Spirit left Saul and he went insane. And so he said, God, I don't want that. I don't want your Holy Spirit to leave. So David was very unusual for the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit came and he abided with, uh, um, abided, abode, thank you, abode with him. Look at verse 18, um, and he's going to start ministering. David was not only a great king, but he was the sweet psalmist of Israel. He gave us the, the main body of work for the whole book of Psalms. He was a prophet of God, but he was a great minister in the area of music. In verse 18, then answered one of the servants, this is the servants of Saul, and said, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite that is cunning in playing. He's a very skillful harpist and a mighty valiant man and a man of war and prudent in manners and a comely person. And here's the pinnacle of his reason why David was so effective as a musician. 
and the Lord is with him. And you come to the end in verse 23, and we see that the music of David had a very spiritual impact. And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took an harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. And it's interesting because here we have a man who was ministering to Saul and his music had so much power, even spiritual power, that evil spirits would leave. So there was a physical, there was the mental, the emotional, there was also the spiritual impact of his music we see there. We have the, the book of Psalms, as I said, through this man's ministry. But Ephesians chapter 5, where we started out tonight... Let's look back there again for just a moment. Ephesians chapter 5. And we see a connection here to the filling of David. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. So what is the prerequisite here to being a minister of music ministering to others simply in music within the New Testament church, he said, be spirit-filled. Why is that? If you're spirit-filled, you're going to be sensitive to carnality. Carnality is a really um, detrimental and normal thing that shows up in music. If you look at the two key musicians in the Old Testament, David and Lucifer, what was Lucifer's big failure? Pride. He was the chief musician of heaven. The anointed cherub that covereth in him were created in the day he was created, tabrets and pipes. He was the chief musician of heaven. What was his big reason why he got cast down? Pride. David, what was his big failure? Immorality. A spirit-filled musician is going to be sensitive to pride and to immorality. Why do we need to be sensitive to that? I mean, today, all you got to do is look at the cover of albums. You can see sensuality, you can see pride. It's all around us. So we need to have spirit-filled musicians so that we're sensitive to the things of the spirit. We're sensitive to sin in our lives. We deal with those things and we can have effective music ministry. And so in every area, not just music, but in order to be effective ministers, we need to be filled with the spirit. Next, this one may sound a little odd, filled to know, filled to know. There were a number of people <clears throat> in the New Testament that they had a filling of the Holy Spirit for a very specific purpose, and that was to know the Messiah, to recognize him when he showed up. Luke chapter 1 and verse 15, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. <clears throat> this is talking, um, God is telling Zacharias about his son, John, who we know of as John the Baptist and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with who? <clears throat> the Holy Ghost, even from what? His mother's womb. You say, oh, wow, so could my child be filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb? Well, this was before um, the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. So God the, whole, God the Holy Spirit is still working in he, he still works the same way, but his methods um, changed after the day of Pentecost. But here he's going to come to this child in the womb. 
and fill John the Baptist. Well, what was John the Baptist going to do? He's going to recognize the Messiah and introduce him to the nation of Israel and to the world. Chapter 1 and verse 41, we have John the Baptist's mother filled with the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. I figured that's when the Holy Spirit probably filled John the Baptist. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh-oh, women? Women can get filled with the Holy Ghost too? Yep. And she spake with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? There are whole religions that all they focus on is blessed is the mother has showed up. But that's not what the focus was here. Elizabeth said, the mother of my Lord. She recognized the Messiah. When? When she was filled with the Holy Ghost. Zacharias. I mean, can you imagine? Mary shows up and she's probably expecting she's going to have to explain all of this to her cousin Elizabeth. The suspicion her cousin may have. And she walks up and she needs to, doesn't need to explain anything. Why? Because the Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth and Elizabeth knows exactly who this baby is. That's a powerful, powerful thing. Well, if you look down at verse 67, we have another person filled with the Holy Ghost. This is after <clears throat> John has been named. And verse 67, and his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. He, why was he filled with the Holy Ghost? To recognize the Messiah has come. It is time. We are welcoming. It is time to welcome Messiah, the Redeemer. And then Simeon, uh, Luke chapter 2 and verse number 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen, say it with me, the Lord's Christ. Why were these four people filled with the Holy Ghost? So that they could recognize Messiah and they could declare Messiah. What did Jesus tell us? In the gospel of John, it's recorded in chapter 15 and 16, the Holy Spirit would be given to us as believers. What was the main reason? Because he would glorify Christ. Do you want to know Christ better? Then you need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Because he's going to show you Christ. As I said earlier, the religion in Ephesus, the drunker you got, the better you knew your God. God said, oh no, the more you're under the control of the Holy Spirit, the better you know your God. Because that is his purpose. His purpose is to reveal Christ to us. And when you and I are genuinely filled with the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be walking around talking about him all the time. We're going to be walking around talking about Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that is constantly there taking us to Jesus. Acts chapter 4, we have the last one here. Filled to preach. Filled to proclaim. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. And they begin speaking in tongues. Um, as, the, as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. And if you go down to verse number 14, what were they saying? Here, Peter stands up. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit. But Peter, standing up with the 11, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea 
And all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you. And he be, he's preaching Jesus. If you go down to Acts chapter 4 and verse number 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, he begins proclaiming Christ once again. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. The Holy Spirit wasn't coming so they could go out and show off and do all kinds of miraculous things. The Holy Spirit was coming to give them boldness to proclaim Christ. The tongues and the miracles and all those things happened were happening at that time to demonstrate that God was keeping his promises from the Old Testament. He was fulfilling his word and he was establishing his church here on earth. Acts chapter 9, we have the conversion of Paul. And what happens when Paul is filled with the Holy Ghost in verse 17? Get down to verse 20, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. When did Paul begin preaching? When he was filled with the Holy Ghost. What do you and I need to be effective witnesses for Christ? We need the Holy Spirit's presence. We need his guidance. Now, we don't have time to cover all the how of being filled with the Spirit. But if you go to Romans chapter 12, and I have the first verse here up on the screen, it gives us that starting place of understanding being yielded, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I believe it's best described right here in Romans 12.1. And most of our lives, we've memorized this and we've talked about this. And I, if you're like me, most of the time, most of my life, I realized I never, I did not realize or understand that this had anything to do with the Holy Spirit. But if you keep reading chapter 12, we start reading about the gifts of the Spirit. So if you take Romans and you study it out and you study the context of where this is placed and you understand what to be filled with the Holy Spirit is just by definition, we realize that Romans 12.1 gives us the beginning place of being filled with the Spirit. Look what he says. I beseech you therefore, brethren, because of what's been written before, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. What is the starting place for being filled with the Holy Spirit? It's building an altar every day and getting on it. Dying to self. Yielding to him. Making yourself an empty space that he can fill. One of my favorite professors in school, actually, um, I studied the doctrine of the Holy Spirit with him um, back right before we moved here to North Belt. He said over and over, I, I, I believe every course I ever studied with him, he told us about this. He said, every morning when I wake up, my bed becomes my altar. And before I get out of bed, I tell God, I'm dying to myself right now. And I want you to live through me today. And he would tell us preacher boys every single course I ever took with him, every day, you have to die to self and let the Holy Spirit live through you. We talk about, oh, Christ lives in me. I've heard all these sermons my whole life about living the Christ life, Christ living through you. But rarely have I ever had anybody explain to me how Christ does that. He does it through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
we talk about it takes no effort. He does it. We, we, we are yielded to him. But I'm like, so how did tangibly, how does that take place? It takes place when we're yielded to him and his Holy Spirit starts producing Christ-like character in our lives. Love, joy, peace. When I wake up in the morning and I'm yielded to him, he starts giving me his love. Anybody ever have anybody that just really pushes your buttons? Anybody honest out here? Somebody that just easily makes you mad or at least easily irritates you. That sounds more spiritual, irritates you. I would challenge you when you wake up in the morning, especially on days you know you're going to see that person. Maybe they live in your house, so you do have to do this every morning. When you wake up, maybe you need to put a picture of them beside your bed. And when you roll over in the morning and you see that picture, Lord, I died a self. Would you love them through me? Be honest with God. I don't like them. I don't even love them. And Dr. Nicole used to tell me, she'd say, Aaron, she said, we're commanded to love everybody. But I like you. <laughs> um, I understood exactly what she was saying. There are some people it takes a lot of work to love. Why don't you quit working? And say, Holy Spirit, would you do this? That's the beginning of being filled with the Spirit. We, we go out to Bible clubs and we're all freaked out about what it's going to mean. Am I walking in the Spirit today? I don't know if I'm walking in the Spirit today. I don't feel anything. If you're filled with the Spirit, you, you most likely won't be going around feeling stuff. But when you get out there and the Holy Spirit says, um, don't walk down that street. And then you hear gunshots down that street. The next second you go, oh, that, that was the Holy Spirit speaking. Like my mom, we were on a plane to Asia to go on a mission trip and we're on the plane and they served the food on the airplane and my mom opened it and it was Asian food. She was so excited about eating it and she heard the Holy Spirit so loudly tell her, don't eat that. And this is what she said. That's silly. That wouldn't be God. He wouldn't tell me not to eat something. The next 36, 48 hours, as my mom said it, she was puking up her toenails. The Holy Spirit was telling her something so simple, and she thought it was silly. Guess what? Now, when she hears a still, small voice like that, we hear about it. I was told not to do that. And um, she's learned to be more sensitive. Sometimes we learn the hard way. We learn the bad way. We start realizing the Holy Spirit was speaking to us. But when this happens, we're, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, all these things, we're going to be filled to build. We're going to be able to do practical service, and it's going to have spiritual influence. We're going to be filled to fight. We're going to be able to have really genuinely fight spiritual warfare. Filled to lead, we're going to be able to be spiritual, wise leaders. Filled to minister, we're, our, our, our music, our giving, everything we do to minister to others, it's going to have a spiritual impact Filled to know when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're going to be able to have a deeper walk with Christ. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're going to have the power to proclaim Christ. I don't know about you, but this shows me I need the filling of the Holy Spirit. And this is just some of it. I challenge you, go through, go um, search, be filled, or just simply the word filled and spirit, and see how often it shows up in scriptures. And most of the time, it, it comes down to one of these. But we need the filling of the Spirit, His control, His power in our lives. Let's stand together and sing number 247. 247, 